but yeah, I think the survival skills for me, aside from just like liking it in its present moment, it also felt like it, it was bringing something, a deeper education that um, was missing for myself. And also I, I just felt like it was missing in our current culture today. So I'm like, okay, well, let me dive deep into this and figure out what it is. You know, do we have something to learn from the past? You know, because we're so busy moving forward that we're, we, we've kind of neglected the past. And, and I, I personally, you know, we, we hear there's books about living in the moment and we hear all these things about living in the moment. And I, I personally believe living in the moment is the ability to actually acknowledge all presence of time in one moment. Like, I don't think you're living in the moment if you ignore the past and the future, potential future. So I, I think that's, that's been sort of a big eye-opener for me just in general in life. Like, I can be fully present, but I, I can also have these other timelines going. So, so with primitive survival skills, it, part of it is, yeah, we're, we're learning from our past roots. We're learning from historical accounts that Native American people, had learned skills a long time ago and they're they're passing these down generation to generation. But we're also, when we're in nature, we're living in the moment, we're present with it. That's Matt Graham there, speaking to the duality of living in the moment, but also paying attention to the deep well of wisdom that comes from the past. Matt's today's guest, he spent much of his life as a hunter-gatherer, honing in both primitive skills and forging a relationship to the natural world that goes beyond what many of us can comprehend. Uh, I really enjoyed talking with him and getting to know him a bit. He's also a sponsored ultra runner and adventurer. He's hosted and been a part of shows on the Discovery Channel. He's a knife maker, an author, and so much more. Take a listen, getting both a sense of Matt's world and soaking up some of the wisdom he shared with me during our time together earlier this year in southern Utah. This episode has been a long time coming. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Uh, life got a bit busy for me, and I prioritized both my run training and work that I had to do as a race director. I've just returned home from kind of the culmination of that run training. Uh, got back from Europe where I ran the 106-mile UTMB Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc race. It was an amazing experience. Uh, I'll have more to come on that in the near future. Suffice it to say that sometimes in the vastness of juggling all that we have to do as humans, we set a ball down. I set this show down for a bit, but I'm super excited to pick it back up. So without further ado, here's Matt Graham. All right, here we are, episode number three of the Meaning of Movement podcast, and I've got my friend Matt Graham on the show today. Matt Graham is truly a jack of all trades. Um, he is an ultra runner, but probably first and foremost, he is a hunter-gatherer, survivalist, primitivist. He might correct those terms a little <laughs> bit on me. Um, he's a knife maker. He's got some really awesome designs and we might talk and poke around with those a little bit. Um, he's written a book and he has been on a few different TV series, three on discovery and one on Nat Geo. Um, 
I think from there, let's let's have you do your your little resume rundown because you know it better than I do, and uh, and then we'll get into the meat of it. Yeah, yeah, it's good good to be here. Good to spend the last couple of days with you too. Right, oh man, right in, in the canyons and up here on the mountain. Uh, yeah. So full disclosure, we're on the side <laughs> of Highway 12 in southern Utah, outside a Escalante area. We just got done with about a 10 mile, uh, kind of high high altitude mountain run, uh, mountain meadows. Did a little dip in a in a kind of snow snowpack runoff alpine lake yeah man it was good and and the day before we'll get into that in a little bit but um why don't you give us a rundown on on your your kind of recent resume and and uh and and what you do matt because it's awesome yeah uh god my recent resume um i guess i guess to start start back i i was always into the outdoors and i i moved to yosemite national park when when i was 17 and uh, that's when I got into trail running and that combined trail running actually led me into the primitive skills and, and such. Um, lived there for six years and then I moved to southern Utah where I started working as a survival instructor. Give me a give me a time frame on like what year was that Yosemite Valley then? Just so I, I can kind yeah. of imagine the time. Imagine way less people, right? <laughs> Definitely <laughs> less people. Um, Yosemite took place. I think I, it was eighty nine. I could have been the tail end of eighty eight. Okay. So it was it was a while ago. It back was, in the day. It was back in the day when all the climbers knew each other. There wasn't that many of us. And that's why I moved there. So I, I actually first went there on vacation with my mom. And uh, I took one of the, the climbing classes there. And we, we just top roped this, like, easy slab. And, and, and I sucked at it. Like, <laughs> like I was clinching the rock and I was grunting like Rambo. And, you know, I was just this teenage kid, like, thinking would take muscle to get up this face of this rock and, and, and like most people's first time on rock i think I mean, oh I've no had... i was bad like <laughs> like I, I looked at the other people and i'm like god they're they're kind of graceful yeah but i was like so bad at it i was like mom i i, I need to stay here i i want to i want to learn how to climb and i was also i was also afraid of heights too so that like combined with something i've always been i've always been really good at at sports in general like in school I was rated like voted the the most overall kind of athletic kind of guy so it was nice just to like really suck at something yeah um, and it surfing was like that to me too I love surfing and I'm not that great at it so what do you what do you think yeah what do you think that <clears throat> that sucking like what did that bring to you you know like you said you're always really good and you've liked sucking is it the focus you had to put in <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't like sucking yeah 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 maybe that's not the term is well it, I, don't, I don't yeah i don't mean it like that but i mean is it is it the focus that you have to bring to it because it maybe doesn't come naturally i think yeah you probably nailed it right there i for me like my mind was always just busy and i guess what i found with climbing was it was a way to meditate without without sitting in a chair and 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 that's what it ended up bringing for the next, you know, three years of my life as a climber was this ability just to be on the rock and, like, be fully present in something. And to learn that at a young age, I think, has been really impactful for me. And it's also led into, the, into what I teach with the primitive skills and hunter-gatherer skills. And it's really helped me, like, you know, 
like when I'm walking through the woods, you know, all day long, just to always be aware of all my surroundings and not just like go into my head space because you can't live like that as a hunter gatherer either. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. So you go to Yosemite, you take the class, you're like, um, a flexed spider on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you tell your mom, you got to stay there. So, so then you move there. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I got to stay here. And, uh, yeah, I went to like the little place and applied for a job and yeah, I didn't think I'd, I'd get a job cause I was still in high school, but I quit high school and started working up there and kind of advanced up the totem pole and got some good job offers. And then I settled into the mountaineering store. That's where I worked for a couple of years. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Um, then past Yosemite, I mean, where'd you, where'd you morph into then? Um, yeah, so I stayed. I stayed in the Sierra Range for about six years, um, in total. So I I ended up moving to Sequoia National Park. Mm, nice. And I, I spent two two long seasons there, and that's really when I got more s- serious into the mountain running, because the backcountry in Sequoia is beyond epic. Like all my ultra runner friends, like I, there's a couple spots. I'm mm-hmm. like, you have to go check this out. Nice. Like you'd get deep in the back country and, and it's, yeah, it just inspires you to want to go for really, really long, long adventure runs. Yeah. Cool. And, and, and that's also at the same time I started, I started pushing the distances and the, and the times, like instead of just going out for a long day run, like I would go out for a hundred miles on my weekend I just do two fifties back to back, yep. but I wouldn't bring any gear. I'd travel much like, like we were traveling. Yeah. You know, I'd figure out how to <clears throat> tie a piece of cloth around my waist and, and, uh, get out there and find some food and make a shelter. And, and yeah. So this, um, this, you know, survivalism and this primitive traveling through the back country hunter gatherer lifestyle yesterday, I found myself, you know, outside, a the Escalante area meeting up with you and we, uh, you asked me to bring an old bed sheet, you know? So (laughs) I, I checked with, I checked with Nicole, my wife and, and made sure, you know, that had her pick out a sheet that I could use and brought it down and we cut it down to a square size and, and really took minimal gear into the back country. I took a, I took a little titanium cup. I have, um, couple bars, uh, a yam wrapped in foil that you provided me. Um, I had a pair of shorts and a pair of minimalist, um, sandals on, and you've got a pair of minimalist sandals on as well. What else I have in there? A little rock salt, mm-hmm. um, a knife. Yep. And then, uh, and then I brought a GoPro as well just to get some shots, but, um, and a hat, uh, and you roll everything up in the sheet and tie it around you like an ultra running style waist pack, except yeah. it really seats and fits pretty well. And off we went totally into yeah. the back country for an overnight, yeah. you know, yeah. um, With maybe what, three pounds of gear, maybe three pounds of gear, no water on us. We were taking water from the streams, which I'm used to up, up by my neck of the woods, um, in the Wasatch range. A lot of people probably listening aren't used to that and I guess full disclaimer like you know there is a little education you need to give yourself but you you don't want to be be getting stagnant water out of a pool or something Mm -hmm. without filtering it but um this minimalism is it was really my first experience with it we traveled 
how many miles did we did we push around for yesterday before we ended up kind of uh, tucking in and overnighting? Uh, yeah, what was that? Yeah, I mean, we moved for a while. Yeah, I guess I guess all together it was maybe ten, but you know, like more off trail. Yeah, like yeah. sandy climbing around rocks. Yeah, so it's it's kind of more, yeah, for pe- for folks that aren't familiar with traveling off terrain you know energetically that's more equivalent to like maybe 16 miles on a trail yeah. or something yeah 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 i mean there's definitely a little more energy that goes into it it was good we did a little um a little fishing back there and then uh, a little primitive overnight camping and what's wild with your skill set is like you know the very thing that turns into the waste pack the sheet that becomes that becomes part of your bedding with these primitive beds that you build so it was an amazing experience for me. Cool, uh, really cool. fun, man. I yeah. mean, I love, I, I, I try to push myself and, and do, uh, spend time in the back country and stuff. So anytime I get a chance, um, but that skill set that you gleaned where you, you were picking that up around the same time that you started getting into ultra distance running and, um, yeah, talk a little bit about that primitivism and that hunter gatherer lifestyle and how that leads into the larger the larger kind of career. I mean, the lifestyle is the base of what you have and then, mm-hmm. but it leads into, you know, that career that you've led into too. So yeah. How, how did that build for you with ultra running back in the day? I guess now we're in, still in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Oh, so, so we're going flashback. Well, you <laughs> yeah, know, Sequoia yeah. or whatever, totally, you pick up wherever you totally. want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. First for me, so I was always, into the the sort of endurance realm i was i started triathlons when i was 15 and then when i moved to yosemite that's lance armstrong style he started young too same yeah same sort of era um yeah and bike biking was actually my strength at that time and then when i moved to the mountains yosemite started climbing and then i i took my first run up half dome trail and i'm like okay i really like this so I just, I got more into the mountain running, but it wasn't running ultra at that time until I moved to Sequoia. Um, and then Sequoia, yeah, the ultra running kind of came quite unusual for me. Um, I was doing, doing a lot of trail running in Yosemite, 26 mile runs here and there. Um, actually, probably not even that distance. Not, not too many runs over 20 miles. Yeah. And then I got to... Uh, Sequoia and and I sort of I was getting more into the hunter gatherer skills more of the nature connection skills and I'm like okay I need to make a commitment to myself because I wanted to figure out how to have a softer impact on the earth hmm. so I made this goal I'm like okay no cars for a year you know whether I didn't have a car but I'm like I'm not going to even get it <laughs> I was like I'm not going to get in a car yeah, so yeah. no friends cars you know if they invite me to party I'm going to go run there you know, I'm still going to have a social life, but no cars. Nice. So, so I made this commitment and like, I don't know if it was the, that following weekend, but it was real shortly after I had my three day, three day weekend and I threw on my backpack, kind of a big one. I didn't have any ultralight gear and I hit the back country and I didn't really have a plan, but I just started jogging. Hmm. And then, and then what I noticed was about it got a little passerby coming through. Yeah, a little car coming by. Um, so I just started jogging, and then I climb up over this this tall pass around 11,000 feet. 
and uh, I'm just jogging. I keep feeling good, and I've got this big pack on, and I'm still jogging, and half the day's gone, 40 miles in. I'm like, what is going on? I've never run this far, and I just kept going, and and, uh, at the end of the day, I covered 65 miles, and I was kind of not a big deal. Yeah. You know, I realized if you just sort of drop the pace back a little bit and run within your fitness range, you could cruise. And I was like, whoa. At the same time, I made this commitment to not be in cars. All of a sudden, I can really travel far. Yeah. And that yeah. was kind of addicting. I was like, okay, what can I do? Where can I go? Yeah. You know, and I, was, I started reading about the Tarimara in, Indians and their, the feats that they did historically. Yeah. And that got me really excited. I was like, whoa, if they're running two, 300 miles at a time. You know, yeah. It's just like, yeah, as a kid, I was 20 years old. I'm like, what are the possibilities? Yeah, and they seem endless, I guess, when you're finding little uh-huh. little, little, secrets like that. Um, yeah. So at, so at that time, what, what that brought for me was um, being able to cover that distance and it simultaneously was really dialing in the hunter-gatherer and the primitive and the survival skills. Yeah. I, I started, I was like, okay, I don't need this big backpack so I, I stopped bringing the backpack and I started figuring out how to stay overnight with with less or no gear yeah <clears throat> and that that turned into a lifestyle yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that lasted a long time I mean it's still going on I guess um, yeah I think for yeah for a few years like on my off season I was just kind of vagabonding around the Sierras and <clears throat> the length of California um, I kind of ran up and down California a few times through like Death Valley and then over to the east side and just kind of picked my own routes and then over to the coast on the north north end and up through the redwoods and I just kind of really enjoyed that that lifestyle of just just sort of running on these long runabouts and um, yeah that just kind of that just grew and, and um yeah, I moved to the Grand Canyon one season. Then I ran the length of California on the Pacific Crest Trail. Nice. And uh, that's a good amount of miles. It's a long state. Yeah, seventeen hundred, I believe, at the time. Yeah, wow. So, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, it was a fun run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how long were you out there for? Ish. Uh, that was uh, fifty-eight days. Oh, nice. <clears throat> that's awesome. At the time, it was the. Um, I mean, now it's people do it so fast but at the time it was actually the fastest the state had been covered yeah but the fkt before fkt before unofficially though yeah i actually have quite a few unofficial fkts that i just never reported yeah um half dome was one of them actually at 19 years old i, I ran a time of 231 on mm. the 18 mile trail that has 5k avert nice um and the record at the time set by a pro italian was 242 oh nice but it was one of my, I was just taught like humility. So I was like, oh, you're not supposed to tell anybody about your things. And, and but, you yeah. know, and I, nowadays I'm like, oh, that's kind of silly. Like, it's <laughs> nice to know that a 19 year old can do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I find myself having that problem and it's a catch 22 and FKTs in general to diverge a little bit. We talked about this a little yesterday. Yeah. I feel a little strange about them because, you know, if you're intimately, going up the half dome and checking it out and spending seasons there like you were it's like you know the dome mm-hmm. but i i don't like the idea of having these amazing places and 
and maybe just having people come in that are amped up to like, oh, let me see if I can get the FKT, and they run it once, and then they right. and then they take off, and it's like, well, man, the half dome is a lot more than that too, you know. Yeah. And so that's what's weird about FKTs, and I I'm not hating on them. I just they're they're interesting, you know. They're they're amazing, and it, you want to push yourself, but at the same time, I, I'm interested to know. At the same time, I feel like FKTs are what kind of brings a little bit of ego or something into mm-hmm. the wilderness, and especially wilderness places and national parks, and more and more that's kind of happening. And again, from one standpoint, there's nothing wrong with it, and from another, it's it's interesting. And yeah. I wonder what the the crux of, like, you, you know, you've seen the ultra-running scene grow, you've been competitive in it. We talked about this a little bit last night. I, I run myself, and some people know that, some don't, and... I run on a higher level as well and but I'm I'm torn, you know, between like wanting to make it and maybe be represent represent a company or something like that and 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 just not and just experience it and just run in the passion of the moment, you know. Yeah. And and I see saw back and forth on that. I know you've spoke to that too. Um what I like that you have is the marrying of, you know, the movement and the distance movement, but then these these primitive survival skills that really, um, just like trail running makes you connect the, 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 the hunter gatherer and these survival skills, they, they connect you deeper. And yeah. So how do you, with that, you know, how, how do you feel about, um, yeah. How, 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 how do you feel? How do you sit with that and figure out like speed versus enjoyment versus you know how do you throttle through those gears because they're tough to navigate sometimes i think yeah for sure it yeah it's a tough balance yeah i've been in the same boat there's a couple times in my life i'm like okay i'm gonna be a pro runner you know let's just do it for a few years or whatever and and i kind of go for it and kind of almost get there and then i i i lose i lose that that connection the earth connection with running um a big part I've always been interest I've always been into barefoot running um and I'm not married to it like I I love shoes and technical terrain and I love mountains and I love barefoot you know time in deserts and where it's appropriate um and I that connection is really important for me and sometimes when I get on on that closer to that elite level I I, I find myself not in finding that connection to the running as much and I think that's what turns me off more than anything I'm like okay like what is it what does it require to you know be fast and and I end up just like I start getting more technical too not only with the shoes I'm wearing but with the gear and I'm like trying to minimize seconds and I'm like I just feel it just feels wrong yeah yeah and I'm not judging anybody I think it's super cool that there are the elites athletes athletes out there that are are finding their joy their drive and taking off those seconds well the thing is is like like you said that stuff it is fun to play around with sometimes mm. but it doesn't i think for both of us and maybe you more than me but i i have the same thing it doesn't last you yeah. know whereas like finding that passion of how i really like connecting with the earth and moving through it and you know, looking for animals and, and, and drinking wild water, unfiltered, fresh from a stream that's super yeah. cold, like we did in a couple springs today. Mm-hmm. You know, those things are like worth stopping for, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think the thing I'm coming to is, is, 
marrying the two and and when i get serious about training yeah. you know not removing that other stuff from my life because otherwise you burn out on totally. on, on what is yeah. i guess the low-end corporate world as corporate as trail running can get you know but yeah. it's it's there but it's low-end you know definitely and and one of the things i really enjoyed when i first got into ultra running was running off the traditional native american foods mm. so i loved going out for super long runs whether it's a long day or multiple days on just chia seeds and seeing how my body responded or just panole and seeing how my body responded. Yeah. You know, and, and it was cool. Like I learned stuff about my body and it also, I felt like a, I developed a deeper connection with, with nature by not having all the gels and fancy stuff. But was I performing optimally as an elite athlete? Maybe not. But I, but I still found the soul in running, you know, and that, that's something I really love. Yeah, you come out of this era, right, with, like, Barefoot Ted and, mm -hmm. you know, like, Jurek's in there somewhere further along. And and uh, and and most of these people that make, make an appearance in, like, Eat and Run, you mm -hmm. know, to the ultra runners out there that have read that book. Um, and it, it really has become apparent to me that, yeah, you're you're a figure in that mm -hmm. in that time period which is which is kind of cool um have, so have you made your way when you say you study the the tarahumara like have you made your way down to the canyon and scoped all that stuff you got any stories about that time since we're talking about that yeah the the first time i went down there was right before i ran the length of california so i think i was somewhere around 22 ish and uh yeah, I just, I read the stories. I, I went out. So they, they wear sandals that they make from tires. Yeah. So are, they, are, they, do they, are they called harachas or? Harachis. Yeah. Harachis. Yeah, it's like, it's basically just this hard, thick piece of rubber with, with a leather lace. So I went, I went to the nearest car dealer and I was like, hey, you got any used tires? And they're like, yeah, they're out back. And so I like rummaged through and I like took my knife and I tried to cut through them and they all had like steel belts in them. I'm like, oh, this doesn't work. Like, what's going on? So I went back home and I like thought about it. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the leather store. So I go to the leather store and I see a thick hide. So I just make them out of leather, right? So like really old school. Yeah. And then I, then I get this big billowy shirt and then I had the little piece of cloth. And then I went down to Copper Canyon. I took a bus to Creel and got to the rim and just, just jumped off the rim and just started running through the canyons for that week and and it was really it was really special you know I met met a lot of beautiful Tatarimara people and and yeah I kind of felt out of place like I was obviously like like they were kind of my superheroes so I was kind of like emulating them with their clothing and their gear but they were really cool to me and like you know, really welcoming and yeah. And you're young at the time there. So it's like, that yeah. makes sense that you're going to be yeah. you know, emulating a little bit. Definitely. Um, so that, that kind of got in my bones. Um, and then I did return a couple years later with another friend of mine named David holiday, who has a lot of connections with the people there and speaks fluent Spanish. And, um, so we go down there together and, uh, I went there down down initially with him, and then then I also spent some solo time running around, and yeah, same same thing. I mean, this is back in, God, even the second time I was there was what ninety seven. Yeah. 
So quite, quite a long time ago. We'll speak to the culture a little bit for people that haven't read Eat and Run, which only dips into the culture, but um, speak to it a little bit and um, a little bit of the running background and, 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 and any other points that you'd find interesting about the, the Taramara people. Yeah, it, it, born to run. Is that? Oh, born to run. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why I was thinking eat and run. So, so, that was a, <laughs> I don't sounds know. Good to me. I think that's a jerk book that, too. That, but okay. um, that sounds like a stomach ache. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you eat, if you eat right, you yeah. Know. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Sorry, what was your question? I guess the question was, is that, you know, there are definitely people listening who are like, oh, I, I, I'm not really aware of, you know, Copper Canyon and the mm-hmm. Taramara people. And so to speak, because you've spent time there, just to, since we're on the topic, speak a little bit um, about the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you don't own it and you're not, you know, in it, obviously, but spending time there and knowing people, I think it's... Um, when you read about it as a runner, you know, the first time you do, and I was, you know, I must have read about it 15 years after after you'd experienced it. It's inspiring because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, man, there's these runners there and they run naturally. And and so yeah. fill us in a little bit. I think I think you nailed it, like with the naturally part. Yeah. Um, like when I was down there, that that had been their their culture, whether whether they were striving for that or not, they were still in that phase of natural running. Like prior to agriculture, running was important for them because they were actually uh, they were actually running down deer for food yeah. sometimes. And then when they started growing corn, um, running still became a spiritual part of their their lifestyle. They believed when they held these long races, and they'd actually some people say kick, but they actually throw a wooden ball with their foot. Mm. They scoop, they land their foot in front and scoop it. And they, they like huck it with their feet and they, they play this game where they have races, sometimes short day races, sometimes two day races. And they're doing this like on trails. Yeah. uh, They have a loop when they do that. Okay. So, so they have a loop and they kind of have their own version of eight stations. Like it's like everyone comes together and they're cooking a tole, which is toasted, roasted toasted corn mm, and then they nice. and it's cooked into it like a gruel so they drink that you know at aid stations and panole cold mixed panole and um and, and panole is like dive into that i guess yeah panole is panole is their main traditional running food and what what that is is they, they just take they take whole dried corn kernels so so once they grow the corn they dry dry the kernels and they they roast that and they actually have quite an elaborate process. Um, basically they, they do it in clayware and they have, uh, they mix the corn with, uh, a certain size gravel to get an even heat and they spin it with a stick and they get it toasted and broken up and they, they, uh, have, then they use sort of mesh, mesh screens to, re- uh, filter out the gravel. Then they take that and they grind it on a matate into a fine powder. And they ha- they eat it in three different ways. They either eat it, just pinch it, and eat it dry and cold, or sometimes they carry tin cups or a gourd cup, and they'll mix it with water and drink it. And sometimes they heat it, but when they heat it, they change the name. It's called a atole. That's awesome. Yeah, when I unwrapped from my uh, sheet this morning, uh, we went down to the river, grabbed some water, and 
mixed up some pinole. It yeah. was good, man. Yeah. I think there was um, some some cacao powder mixed in Definitely. with that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, that was that was super pinole. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> super pinole. Yeah, sometimes I dry like sting nettles and mix them in, or mm. or I also toast sunflower seeds or chia seeds and grind those up into it. It was enough, dude. Yeah. We we threw the sandals on and and moved like four miles back out to the to the vehicle. Yeah, before we came up here and ran ten miles, <laughs> right. you know. So right. it was enough for a good day. Um, Wow, what an amazing experience! I've, I definitely have, like drawn to Copper Canyon stories, and yeah. you know, time changes everything. And but it's like it seems I, like an interesting place to to yeah. scope out. But I I also I have this thing where I'm like, when you said the first time you're there, you felt a little out of place or whatever, and mm-hmm. I I wonder nowadays if it's like if it's over touristed with mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Anglo runners like myself, like I'm almost like, damn, like I don't know if I can go there and not just be like a yeah. a goober, you yeah. know. The second time I went there, I honestly I felt less out of place just because I had I I had developed so many miles on in running in Harachis and it be that kind of became a part of my lifestyle. I just sort of I I essentially gave up shoes at that time. Um so when I showed up there, I was I was a good runner. I had Hirachis, and I felt this deep connection with the people. And uh, one of my friends, Felipe, who he's a Tarahumara, and he was also a really good runner. And he was brought to the states, and he won he won a bunch of 50 mile races in the states. And he's run run Leadville. I think he ran Western as well. Um, and and I I don't speak I don't speak fluent Spanish. But I was, I felt like I could communicate really well with Felipe and, and others I met. Just, just, you know, and our presence and, you know, they point to things and teach me their Tarahumara language. And we just play games like kids sometimes just throwing rocks or, or, you know, we play the game, the running game with the wooden ball. We'd throw that with our feet. And, and sometimes I'd run into town like with Felipe and you know, help them bring in oranges to trade for, for goods, for cloth sometimes, because they had oranges in their, their orchard. And Felipe was, yeah, he, he actually, he, he, he invited me to stay in his village, like basically permanently. Um, he said they would, he would bring members from the village and they'd help me build a stone house which at the time was like really, really tempting. <laughs> Pretty like, appealing. I was half there, I'm, but I was also like, I, I had a lot of friends in the States and I just started uh, teaching the survival skills and like, yeah, I was pretty torn. I had such a deep connection with, with the Tarimara people. I, I almost stayed there infinitely, but I ended up coming back. Yeah, that's cool, man. It's cool that I like the play that you're talking about, you know, the different games and yeah. throwing rocks and stuff like that, like that. Uh, I think to me, and it, it, when I talk about what this show is about, the meaning of movement, like play has always been integral. Like I'm a runner, but a lot of other things. And, and it's, it's that connection to just like moving that is exciting. And when you, you're moving with other people and you find little ways to dink around, be it in the woods or on a playing field or something, it's, um, it really kind of builds that uh, that community, you know, mm-hmm. which is is cool. It's yeah, awesome, definitely. you know. Yeah, that's what what a amazing experiences you've had there. That's so cool. Yeah. 
well, this is a sidebar, but one of the things I always thought was like kind of cool is that like in some of the stories you read, and maybe it was Felipe who came to the States and ran some of these races, you know, some of these guys um, would smoke tobacco yet too, you know, and, and they would smoke a little tobacco sometimes even before they'd start the race. And I was always like, man, that's so badass because it's, it's counter to today's culture you know like we live in a world where like if you smoke cigarettes you're it's it's like a fiending thing like mm-hmm. oh i smoke too many cigarettes you know yeah, yeah. but um but yeah i don't know why i was always just like oh that's so cool yeah. like i appreciate that um i don't know i just well, appreciate it one of the interesting things i i got to see in, in that time frame because i do think it's an important part of the tarimar history is that back in in that that sort of frame, 90, 95 to 2000, <clears throat> the Tarimara were, were being brought to the States and they were doing well in races here, you know, as ultra runners during, yeah. during that time. And, and they sort of, they dreamed of that, you know, kind of like the Kenyans today, you know, or Kenyans of yesterday, like growing up barefoot, dreaming to be a great runner, make, yeah. m- make money for their family, come travel the world and come back and provide for their family. The Tarahumara had the same dreams. You know, they were <clears throat> not impoverished, but they, they just didn't have money. You know, they were growing their own food and they lived very, um, you know, pretty meek lives. So that was a big incentive for them. And that's why that push sort of happened and they were they were for it they were interested yeah. in it and they they did it for a few years and what's interesting unlike the kenyans they came to the states and it actually made them <clears throat> appreciate their lives at home yeah yeah they they actually came back all these runners and they they just went around telling the other tarimara they're like you know we we have a really good life we we live in a beautiful place we have clean water we don't starve and and we have family and community and in america they have money but you know i hate to say this but they're like they're americans are kind of confused and fat and unhealthy that's what they said yeah so sad sad it be you know that they felt that way but they're kind of right in comparison to them yeah sage wisdom for sure i mean as a society I think, you know, yeah, we're moving, we're moving, we've been moving in that direction of, um, uh, yeah, of, of, yeah, when I'm, I'm blanking on the word, it's not laziness, it's just not moving, you know, right. um, sedentaryism, you know, and yeah, but, so but, they're, they're not wrong. Yeah. And that's part of why that, that movement just sort of stopped because after a few years they realized it wasn't, it wasn't serving. They didn't really want to become the Americans they thought they wanted to become. Yeah. They yeah. really started to preach, appreciate their own culture and heritage. That's great, like, foresight, you know, to be able to look at um, another culture and, and look beyond maybe the the access to capital and money, look beyond that and go, like, well, is there is there a downside here, too? Because most of us know that there is a downside, even though there's a lot of positives, there is a downside as well, you yeah. know? So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and the Tarimara, like there's so many stories about like tourists being in that area and like losing something on the trail that the Tarimara could really use, but the Tarimara like running for like 10, 15, 20 miles or a day run to catch up to this person and say, Hey, you, you dropped this valuable thing on the trail. Nice. Like, yeah, they just they they're real people. Yeah, man, that is um that's amazing. 
Yeah. Okay. So Tara Omara stories, those are awesome. Let's, let's bring it up a little bit because, um, I don't want to hold you for the rest of your time. I've taken you for a day and a half already and I know we're friends, it's a, so it's all good you're time. good with it. But, um, you carried on with, with your hunter gatherer skill sets and we can talk about that a bit. That eventually led you to hosting a few shows, right? And why don't you just give a real quick rundown of what those are? Because you can, you mm-hmm. can, you can anecdote those much better than I can. Because you can still find them today. I watched a few of them before I came down with you. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I, yeah. I mean, by tr- by trade, like I still consider myself a survival instructor. That, that's what I've been doing for twenty five years, and living as a hunter-gatherer for a good chunk of that time. Uh, and that, in a short story, that did lead me into, you know, being being appealing for, for survival TV with Discovery and Nat Geo and other networks. So my first, first show on camera was with Discovery. It was called Dude, You're Screwed. Uh, it was five guys that basically take, take turns dropping each other off, kidnapping each other, hood on their on their head and dropping each other off in the most remote places on the globe and then the idea was you had four days to find your way out and then i went on to another show called dual survival where it's just two of us and kind of same thing we we intentionally recreate survival scenarios so like you know examples like a down plane or a snowmobile that got crashed or broke down Um, so kind of things that have happened or could happen and then we're placed in that scenario and then we show our audience what what potentially you could do to get out of out of that yeah the, the one i watched was like um it was like it seemed like it was based on a real story of like a biologist that had gotten lost mm-hmm. in the jungle on the side of a volcano mm-hmm. and then you two um you and uh so so there's there's you and one other person right and they're kind of like split like yeah. they're kind of different tactics but you guys had to get off the island or whatever yeah and a lot of times we have whatever items that they had in that that time so we step into this uh biologist story and you know she she might have had lipstick and you know tampons in her bag you know maybe that's it (laughs) so we have to figure out like you know what to do with with that item so it's yeah those are interesting and then i went on to work with Nat Geo after that, where it was more documentary, kind of my lifestyle. It's called Live Free or Die. Um, then I hosted a show again <clears throat> with Discovery called Bushcraft Build Off, and that was really fun. Brought in teams together to build natural shelters. Um, and then I worked on a documentary called Living with the Stone Age. We actually filmed that, it's a UK channel, but we filmed it in Bulgaria. That was, what was that, two years ago. And uh, I've done some other segment work. I was on a couple seasons of a show called First Man Out, where it was kind of kind of like a survival race type deal, um, but still still TV form format. You know, we have to present a certain amount of skills. It's not it's not just all out kind of race thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. That it's it's. Um cool experiences to have and i think it speaks to um the level of your survival skills and um and the capacity in which you can pass those skills on to others like you said you've been uh leading classes and teaching for 25 years and you actually still 
teach classes. You've got one this weekend and, mm-hmm. and some coming up later this summer. And those ones we'll have in the show notes and stuff because, um, I, I mean, I'm interested in taking a class even just from going out with you and, and, and hanging as friends and learning a couple survival skills. It's pretty amazing. Um, but back to that, uh, that, that teaching aspect, um, yeah, 25 years, man. Uh, what, what do you, uh, what do you pull out of there? And a couple of things we spoke about last night that I'm interested in hearing about is, is one, the larger community is there are these community of survival teachers. Um, and, and you had mentioned they kind of all specialize in different things. And, and then there's also kind of what, um, what teaching and, and inspiring others to connect with, um, the planet does for you. Like what, what is it that, that, has brought you into teaching survival skills? Yeah. Uh, I mean, first I, I just, I like it. Yeah. It's, like, for, it's for you. Like, I, yeah, I like the, I not only like the teaching, I like, I like the skills. I like being with the earth on that level. Yeah. And you can make a living off of it, you know? So that's a, yeah, at times. I mean, yeah. I've never, I, yeah. TV was kind of probably more like the break into a normal paycheck. Mm. I think prior to that, you know, I lived pr- pretty meager yeah. life. Um, but yeah, I think the survival skills f- for me, aside from just like liking it in its present moment, it also felt like it, it was bringing something, a deeper education that um, was missing for myself. And also I, I just felt like it was missing in our current culture today. So I'm like, okay, what? Well, let me dive deep into this and figure out what it is. You know, do we have something to learn from the past? You know, because we're so busy moving forward that we're, we, we've kind of neglected the past. And, and I, I personally, you know, we, we hear there's books about living in the moment and we hear all these things about living in the moment. And I, I personally believe living in the moment is the ability to actually acknowledge all presence of time in one moment like I don't think you're living in the moment if you ignore the past and the future potential future yeah so yeah. I, I think that's that's been sort of a big eye-opener for me just in general in life like I can be fully present but I, I can also have these other timelines going so so with primitive survival skills it part of it is yeah we're, we're learning from our past roots were learning from historical accounts that Native American people had learned skills a long time ago and they're they're passing these down generation to generation but we're also when we're in nature we're living in the moment we're present with it and and I find that that really that that's really intriguing to me and I think that the reward too is it's just amazing. Like I wouldn't trade billions of, if someone said, I'll give you billions of dollars if I can erase your mind and take all your skills knowledge. I'd be like, no way. Like, yeah. like not, not, <laughs> not in, not in a trillion dollars because it's like those skills, you know, we, we, we take those and that, that creates a security. Like when you have that kind of relationship with the earth, you, you feel you don't feel like you're lost or just just completely subject to the system. Um, yeah, I think to me it's also um, 
it's true communion with the planet too, you know, and, and to whatever level that you are currently deepening your understanding of the planet and, and how you interact with it. The thing that I get of it out of it is, is that security, but also that like, I, it's that communion. Like I realize like, I'm not just me. I am a part of the earth and a part of all and a part of the tree that you're leaning up against right now and the wind that's blowing through our mics. It's all, it, it, we're all made up of the same matter. And that is like grounding to me. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that you feel that stuff. That's amazing. Uh, one of the things you said about being present and the full time spectrum yesterday, I found this really cool piece of stone, right? Like a, some piece of chert and it was flaked, you know, it was, it was worked at some point. Um, somebody maybe trying to work it into a point like way back down the timeline and I showed it to you and you're like, yeah, that's definitely worked. And I put it back down and left it. Um, but later that night we returned to it and you spoke about, um, single mindedness and the task at hand and how perfectly, uh, like point culture or Mm -hmm. pointing, uh, I don't know how you worded it, but how perfectly, um, native peoples could, could flake rock into, into, (laughs) into knives and points that were just perfect that we actually like cannot do today. Right. Right. Uh, Which is interesting and speaks to the understanding and the communion and the single mindedness of, Mm -hmm. of, of really committing to something. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, like, that kind of goes in that spectrum like we talked about where where our culture looks at past timelines and they call it primitive which is kind of ironic because somehow we we titled this the skills we do primitive skills yeah but but they're not really they're not primitive yeah you know they're they're arts that are far advanced in in our perceptive skills than than we realize today and and that's a good example. We go back to uh, Clo- Clovis, Folsom time timeline. Those points that were being made um, ten thousand years ago, and they're they're perfect. Like the the connection and artistry they had to shape the rocks was was yeah. It's we just can't we can't recreate it today. Even the best flint nappers with modern tools using copper tools and other technologies can't quite come to the same flaking patterns, these parallel flakes, these matching center lines. Um, you know, and it really goes to show you that, you know, we had back then, it's, we, ha- we have advanced in different ways, but our, but our minds, you know, when it comes to the artistry and perceptive skills of the earth, we haven't, we haven't advanced in that place. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And, and to some extent, it, it's we've done less than not advanced. We 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 have uh, went back a little bit, right? Because we can't even kind of reproduce uh, quality of that time period, which is which is crazy. Yeah, we've definitely digressed. Yeah, at times, like, and I used that analogy the other day. It's it's kind of like the artistry they had is is like asking a a baseball pitcher to you know to hit a another still baseball at 50 yards 200 times and not miss yeah like probably no one in the world's gonna be able to pull that off yeah but they pulled it off on the rock yeah and 
I'll go into my response to that too, because it seems pertinent. And it's one of the things that I like about movement and about getting myself out in the wild or out in a race or whatever. It, it seemed to me when you said the baseball thing, throwing the ball and hitting it over and over. I mean, it's just this excellence that, that they had in this skill set of creating these points. And it was probably necessary you know, I mean, it was it was a skill developed in an artistry, but also very useful and mm-hmm. necessary. And and but you said beyond function, you did speak to that. But there's something about um, putting ourselves in a position where it's necessary. You know, ultra running to me is that it's like uh, these hundred milers. It's like mm-hmm. I'm 70 miles in, kind of hurting. I don't really give up that easy. All right, well, how do I figure out a way to finish these last 30 miles? Well, left to my own devices, like not starting that race or not, you know, it's these situations of like, oh, I actually have to troubleshoot and figure this out to move through this, you know? And I think in today's society, there are so many of us where like, there are a lot of times where you might reach a point and it's not always making a point, no pun intended, right? Making a, a, (laughs) it's not always making an arrowhead or a knife, but we reach a hard spot and we go, okay, well, yeah, I technically don't have to finish this, so I'm not going to. Um, but having to, um, mm-hmm. at least for me, is one of those things that the outdoors has always given me of like, yeah, I hiked in 10 <laughs> miles. I have to hike out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could sleep here tonight, but then I got to hike out, you know, um, or I keep going forward. But you have to do something. And... The, in today's society, when you get a taste of having to do something and it's also mildly satisfaction, like satisfactory and you learn something out of it, it's addicting because we almost crave that in a society that sometimes things are so easy. We just don't have to finish anything. We yeah. can have a thousand things started, finish none of them, be halfway through. But when you actually have to produce something, it's, it's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I find it, it, it is interesting. Like, like, yeah, you use the phrase or maybe we spoke of the phrase beyond function. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you had brought that up cause I, yesterday I was like, yeah. yeah. And they had to make these points to live. And you were like, well, it was beyond that. It was artistry. And, 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 and it, and it was, but I think, so there's, there is quite a misconception in, in the survival world that that's not healthy. Mm. It's not healthy for people that don't understand the skills. And that is the details are imperative and they're the difference between life and death. Yeah. If you can, you know, you can read a survival manual and there's a lot of sort of backyard survivalists that, you know, might pride themselves like, Oh, I just, I get things to the functional spot. Um, that, that's not someone that can live in the woods. Yeah. Um, to live in the woods requires such a pronounced finite, ability to to really understand the details because details are the difference between heart collect being able to trap that animal and maybe just wounding it and it gets Mm. away yeah you know the details of being able to create a primitive hunting tool that that makes a kill most of the time versus not um well i think also or or like plants too are a good (laughs) a good example knowing if a plant's edible doesn't mean you're you're going to be able to eat it there's there's so many details on how to make all these plants taste really good, you know, and how to make the animals taste really good. And there's details with the shelters and the fire. Um, 
Yeah, or in some circumstances with plants in itself, um, even maybe making it more than just palatable, but um, or taste good, but but actually preparing it in a way that that gives your body, you know, more nutrients, right? For sure. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. It's beyond just yeah palatable. It's it's making it so that you can consume a large portion of it as well, because not all wild, not all wild foods, especially plants, taste good in the form that they're they're given there's yeah. usually steps there's usually a lot of steps actually yeah. to make the really good ones taste taste good yeah 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 it's cool i think that speaks a little bit to um continued learning you know and always always continuing and honing your craft you know um because by necessity you need to but I, it's it's um Again, somehow the outdoors provides that even in the modern world. Yeah. Because you can always see like, oh, man, I've learned this awesome skill set. But but every time I do it, it's a new time. And every time is a chance to hone it in a little more or treat the planet a little better when I harvest or the plants a little better or whatever it is. Everything can kind of incrementally get better. And that's what's kind of infinitely exciting about the tangible physical world is it is it's infinite you know mm-hmm. you can always keep going it's not the piece of paper never fills up you know definitely yeah and and i would encourage like if if, if folks are like truly interested in in learning the skills of the earth and the survival skills like you, you have to you have to develop a relationship with them and, you know i've met so many people who are like oh i read this book and i'll use that stuff when i need to yeah like it, it's just i wish it worked that way but yeah nature's like it's it wants to teach you. It's it's like there to challenge you. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's something. There's something again, like reading and learning about skills. I think is uh, important, and it, and it could be a good launch pad. But again, this theory I have about movement is it's it's this connection of the mind and body, and so you really do need to get hands on, and you really, it it it's like working with clay. It's like the first time you work with clay. It's like what's well, going to be a pile of shit for most people, especially for me, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it, but you learn the rhythm of the clay, you know, mm-hmm. and you learn like the viscosity that's like right for you and how to build with it. And it, it, it you, you can't get that in a book, you know, you might get some hints of like two parts water, one part yeah. clay or, you know, yeah. Oh, the first, first time I had a, like a really good, um, natural clay potter, um, teach me how to make clay pots from, from the earth. Not, not like, plasticky clay on a wheel but mm. go out we went out and collected the clay and pounded it up and we ground we actually ground these black rocks into the temper and you know I mixed this thing together and I, and I thought it was going to be like bread dough you know and I'm like tugging on it and like like you can't tug on clay like it just pulls apart mm. so yeah it's all the skills are quite an expert can make them look really easy yeah like anything but man you, you do it like there's so many skills in our field and you do them. You're just like, whoa, that that's actually pretty hard to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And there, and there, you know, inside of those skills, there are skilled teachers mm-hmm. and, and, uh, kind of scattered, scattered all over this continent. I, w- I would guess, right. That yeah. you can kind of hook into. And yeah, and that's, that's, I think that's part of the community and family of it. You know, we have everyone there's so many of those skills and everyone specializes in their own thing yeah for me it was it was mostly the actually being in the field and the hunter gather stuff where other people like 
taking clay pottery or flip napping or basketry or high tanning and all these other things to, to a heightened level. So how do you, how would you encourage somebody who maybe hasn't really had much experience in, in the outdoors in general, like maybe, maybe they were in the boy Scouts or the girl Scouts, maybe they weren't. Um, but they're, but they're intrigued with, some type of skill, you know, like that, like maybe it is basket making or pottery, or maybe it is, you know, learning to start a fire and, uh, you know, uh, backcountry survival skills, hunting, gathering skills. Like where is a, where's like a good, like jump off starting point for, for folks like that? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, I think there's, well, I guess there's almost two categories there. There's the skills itself. And then there's the, the time with the land itself. So I think you have to kind of ask yourself like, you know what's more important is is it just a focus on a skill or, or do you want to actually be able to go into nature and and uh, develop a relationship and more comfort with her um, if it's just the skills base like I think just finding a good teacher going to gatherings really good you know there's there's tons over the west and the east now um, the winter count rabbit stick acorn those are all great gatherings where you can meet lots of like-minded people and family. Mm, nice. Um, yeah. We'll put those in the show notes for sure. Like there's not like a conglomerate. It's not like, like, is there a, like one site where it's like, you know, primitive skills or, or it's just a Google <laughs> search for kind of gatherings. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess it's a Google search. <laughs> <laughs> Fair uh, enough. I don't know. Well, um, if we find something, we'll put it in the show and definitely those, those gatherings you spoke of. Yeah. Um, and then field skills, you know, I think there's, I think there's two approaches to that. You can either um, come out and take take a class with somebody like like me that's put in the time, or if you feel called to it, you know, called to the earth. I think I think the place to start um, is just kind of dive into it, you know, and see where it goes. I I feel like people will learn a lot more if 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 they just go out for an overnight, you know, with like no gear. And kind of see what happens versus saying, oh, I, I you know, I want to tell her, my friends that I was out for a week. So I'm going to bring all this gear and like practice my survival skills. I don't think you learn as much that way, yeah. you know, and I, I, th- I think that's part of the problem. People trying to learn it is they feel like they have to start with a lot of gear and then they they're like, oh, I'll just strip back a little bit at a time. But my advice is within a controlled environment and maybe not too far from your car or too far from safety, go out and just dive into it. You know, see, yeah. see how you can do without food and gear and water and see if you can find that stuff. Well, and, and it might be, you know, for some people, for very kind of not to put a level on it, but for very, you know, folks that haven't spent a lot of time outdoors, it might be you know, hiking on a trail that you've hiked once or twice in the day. And it might be hiking out to, you know, the furthest point on it with, um, you know, with a headlamp or something and and staying out there until the sun goes down Mm -hmm. and walking out in the darkness for the first time, if that's somebody's first time, you know, I mean, the entry level could be, could be any barrier, I think. Um, yeah, definitely. And I, I think, I think the, uh, vision quest sits a really powerful tool Mm. um, and probably a bit underestimated you know the vision quest traditionally what it looked like is building a circle of stones 10 foot in diameter and sitting there for four days with no food or water Uh, today a lot of programs will 
we'll do a variation of that where they bring in a gallon of water to the to the sit spot um, but i also think it's a very powerful tool done in a 36 hour space mm. so anybody could tap into that you just go find a spot bring a blanket build a circle of stones and stay there and not consume any food for 36 hours and the land will you'll figure out you'll figure it out yeah like the land will tell you like how it wants you to um, that's the introduction you're saying i'm here i want to be here i want to i want to learn your your skills you know what do i do and it'll tell you how how you should start yeah man i love <laughs> i love that your jump off point is like yeah traditionally it's a four-day fast you know but <laughs> three days well, okay. well, oh, well, three, 36, 36 hours. Oh, 36 hours, day and a half. Two nights, yeah. one full day. Okay, two nights, one full day. Nice. Okay, that's more palatable. In my mind, like I did bad math, and I was like, three days, that's still like a lot, yeah. you know? I mean, even two nights in a day is, but that's much more palatable. It's a chunk, but so you, you find the spot, you know, sunset-ish. Yep. You stay there that night, stay there the whole day, the whole, whole next night. You come yeah. back the next morning, and <clears throat> and I feel like with, Today, today's attention span, <laughs> that's kind of a good, good place to start. Yeah, and I actually like that, like, now that you broke that out. Because um, to get the night and then go into the morning and there might be some sense of, like, oh, man, like, should <clears throat> yeah. I get out of here? What am I doing? But if you can will yourself through it and make yeah. it through that second night, yeah, I can understand how you would be, like, make, yeah, it would come to you a bit. My strong advice is stay the second night everyone's tempted to leave that yeah. evening and say oh i did 24 hours you won't learn much but it is the second night it's the second night where the power comes the first guest i had on this show steve adderholt who puts on that coca dona 250 yeah you know the events that he's created including ragnar trail his belief is that it to really sink into whatever community and whatever you're engaging in you need that that overnight and you need that second night. And it's mm -hmm. interesting that it aligns with your same thought pattern. It's actually really wild. Yeah. Um, and, and there, there's almost a problem actually to coming back that evening because, um, actually bad patterns are usually created because, <clears throat> you know, when we, when we don't eat for 24 hours, you're kind of hungry. Yeah. So people that walk out at night, you know, they get back and turn on the headlamp and start binging till midnight. Or they hit the city and they pull up Yelp and they're like, where's that Chinese buffet at, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but you make it through the second night, you come back in the morning, and you can establish some some healthier patterns usually. Mm -hmm. And the experience is, is more potent. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I love uh, I love it. I love that your starting point is like, it, it's, it's very accessible, but I also like that it's like... It, it's just long enough that it's it's just extreme enough and extreme's a bad word that like it 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 would create palpable change in mm -hmm. in anybody that would go out and do that you know yeah that's cool um yeah okay uh let me let me is there anything you want to talk about specifically matt like where you're headed and things that you think are important to you know in this conversation we've had about um uh, quote-unquote primitive skills and, and hunter-gatherer and connecting with the earth? Is there anything else that you want to you wanna add? <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess the only thing I would add, like, 
you know, for, for me, that, that lifestyle was very authentic. You know, I tried to spend more than half my year living as a hunter-gatherer and then the other time teaching. And, you know, I would go out every fall and just a loincloth for 40 days. I did a true six-month solo where I stayed in the wilderness for six months straight. And, and that lifestyle's been, like, really engaging and <clears throat> beautiful for me. Yeah. And the, I chose to do the TV space when I was about 39 years old, 39, 40. And, um, and it's opened a lot of opportunities and it was a necessary point in my life. And I'll probably continue making shows if they're good. Um, but I can honestly say, like, if, if I were to compare the two lives, um, you know, having, having a little more money and doing TV work definitely is not necessary yeah like the life I had before was pretty awesome yeah yeah I love that you said that I I've got I've got a little note here that I made today um when we were when we had left camp uh and you spoke a little bit about um you know the the Tacoma you have that's your that's your first vehicle as an adult like uh you you know you, you had how many years in there without a vehicle well, no, I, I had a couple vehicles. Yeah. Um, so I bought my first minivan when I was 26 years old. Okay. And I had that for a couple months. Yeah. Broke down. I didn't realize vehicles weren't as tough as the human body. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize they didn't repair yeah. themselves with a good diet. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just didn't know anything. Yeah. I, so I, I ran my vehicle fast like I'd run, and it didn't like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so... Then I just went carless for another like five plus years. Um, and then I had a little uh, ca- Toyota camper van mm. for a few few years, like four years. But I only put 12,000 miles on it in four, four years. Yeah. I didn't really drive it that much. Yeah. I sold that. And then I was just back on my feet for like another 10 years. And then... Um, then I got the. And then came into the Tacoma. I, yeah. The Tacoma kind of came in the at the same time TV started. And yeah. I, it was like I needed something to get to the airport. And yeah. New, yeah. New lifestyle. But I think what I like about that, with what you just spoke about before, of you know if if I had to choose the TV with a little bit of money or not doing the TV and and not having as much money as before, I mean your lifestyle was and is still awesome, and 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 you. You, you you wouldn't give up that lifestyle you had before that to some extent you still have now you know mm-hmm. um, yeah but what's really cool about it is I think there's a lot of people and this is like this is this is a western societal American ideology thing of like we imagine people without these niceties that we've come to take for granted something like a vehicle right and and we imagine that like well that that person must be wanting for something like they must be wanting for these things that they don't have that i have like it's a very it's something that i think a lot of us have like have in our minds and and even if you realize like that's not true it's still like this culturally it's built into you like oh they they don't have much like they must want these things like i wish they could have these things you know like and and what's pretty cool about your story and 
the genuineness of you, which is very apparent just from hanging out with you and being in your space and your energy. And I think it's apparent over the microphone too, is that, you know, that's not the case. Uh, you've lived a life where you have pursued the things you've wanted to pursue and, um, and been very happy for and with those things, with those things that you love. Um, I'm sure you've had hard times. We haven't really touched on those. Um, but like everybody does, even the people that have all the shit in the world, right. And they, to some extent have even more, you know, um, but it, it, it's really inspiring. And I think it's really important to, to break down the barrier of that myth that like, Oh, we have to like have this certain lifestyle to, Mm -hmm. to be happy because if you're pursuing your passion, you're happy. And, and you are an example of that. And I think it's inspiring to people to would be listeners of this show to realize that like, if you have passions, you know, whether it's, whether it's movement based or not, if you, if you can connect with those things, Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're going to find a way to be overall a happy person. And if you really connect with those things, you might find a way you might find it lead into something else. So all of a sudden you have a little bit of both lifestyles, you know, you've really made some headway because you have dedicated yourself to your craft. And I think there's a lot of us and I've been in that boat off and on, and you maybe have too. Um, we're like, we're almost afraid to commit maybe to something because there is that like, well, culturally and societally, like mm-hmm. I kind of need to uphold these things to be, I don't know, looked upon as like a, a regular, like do good member of society, <laughs> you know? And what I love about your story is that you have crafted your own path uh, and And you are an amazing member of society, right? And you were an amazing member of society before you came into like whatever money looked like with TV that came along Mm -hmm. with it, that you had that before and you were giving back to society and you still have that now. But um, whether you were afraid or not in the beginning, you pushed down that path and have been committed. And it's really inspiring um, to the fears that I think a lot of us have. Yeah. I, I think you touched on something interesting too. Like, um, I, I think pursuing your passions, like we need more people doing that. Um, I can't, I can't say that leads to happiness on its own. I, yeah. I think, I think pursuing your passions and also being able to sort of leave your ego out of it, which kind of sounds unusual, but I think that's where people make the most growth. Like if you can be passionate about something and also find a way to, to like, bring people into it, share it, um, figure out how it makes people around you or your environment around you a better place. You know, I think that cultivates a certain, certain amount of happiness. So I, I wish it was as simple as like, Oh, I just want to do what I want to do and I'm going to be fucking happy. But, yeah. but I don't think it, it, I think there's more to it. I, and I know, I think we need to look at that and, in, in our hobbies and our business models, like, yeah, we all we all need a little more fire, but we also need to, you know, bring people into that fire genuinely. Yeah. Not for our egos. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, if you are kind of pursuing, you know, something a bit altruistic that you are passionate about, it it 
it tends to break down those barriers in your mind too, like those dickheadedness things that mm-hmm. we all those hurdles in our mind that are like those selfish things. You're yeah. Like, when you really are engaged, you tend to be a little more jovial about stuff and open and sharing. And to right. me, that's what like running and moving yeah. gives to me is like, man, I come back and like, I want to connect with my wife and I want to connect with you. And, um, so yeah, but I, man, I, I think that's, that's a really important, uh, thing to, thing to add in there because it, it is, I, I there's something, there is something about giving, you know, and, and using your passion to, to give and how that helps you grow. And yeah. And, and it's like, you know, the ultra running has been a part, you know, part, part of my life for the past 30 years, you know, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting sport because we show up, you know, one day and we, we all compete against each other, but it's, it's not a, it's not about like, Oh, I'm going to beat this guy. It's that we use each other as a measure of our progress. Yeah. And I think that's, what's cool, you know, with the competition part of it is being able to, to share that. Yeah. I, I'll just touch on, touch on Tushers, the Tushers race last year real quick. Cause yeah, I, congrats on that. Yeah. You, thanks you, man. You crushed, you crushed Tushers, Tusher Crusher. Yeah. It was a good race. Um, I don't think I've talked about it on this podcast. It's a hundred K in, in, um, in the Tushers range, just outside of Beaver, Utah, beautiful range, highly recommend it anybody get your butt over there in any capacity and check out the Tusher's, Tusher's range in a race or without, I mean, either way, almost better without, but, um, the race gets you into some really cool spots. I took second at that race. I led for like the first hundred K is about 62 miles. There's about 17,500 feet of climbing. It's, it's rugged, relentless. It's my third time doing it. Um, I kept coming back cause of the beauty and the pain and the suffering and I wanted to crack it, but, um, I figured out a way to crack it pretty much. And I, I led it for like the first 52 miles, but to your point about the community and, you know, when you come together to race and it's not all about ego, um, did the last climb right coming down it, uh, the guy that was, you know, second to me all day came up and passed and we shared a few words and immediately, man, I, I said like, way to go, man, like get it, you know? And, um, I told people about that and like outside of the sport, you know, family members and, and stuff like that. And they're like, like, well, yeah, why didn't you like turn it on and like, like crush this guy, you know? And first off, like, I'm not sure they realized, like I just moved like 52 ish miles or whatever, (laughs) you know, like I was kind of crushed by then. Um, but like second off is like, yeah, I mean, it's a race running and moving together. There's play involved in a race and there's camaraderie and there is this, through this camaraderie, this challenging each other and stretching each other's limits, you know, and I'd pulled the front end of that string all day. And by the time he passed me, the only thing I could do was be like, way to go. And even in my head, I was like, way to go. Like it was genuine. Mm -hmm. I had no kick in me to like, (laughs) you know, there was nothing coming back, you know, and in a shorter race, like a two mile race or something, you might be like, GD it like I'm coming at you you know and (laughs) see what you can do and even if you still lose and puking because of it or something but some of the beauty of of moving like that together with other people is it temporarily dissolves the ego to a significant amount to the point where 
you know, even a guy like me that's a dickhead sometimes is like, dude, nice work. That, Get after it. That's a good point. Like, if you got an ego 50 miles in, it's kind of gone. <laughs> it's gone, yeah. yeah. The thing will come back eventually, but you leave the, you, right. you hit the finish line pretty much weathered down. And, mm-hmm. um, man, you can really do some good work in that downtime when the ego's kind of mm-hmm. turned down, you know? Um, yeah. and, and then you gotta, you gotta renew it every once in a while. And, and yeah. it's, it's funny with racing, like we're, we're all subject to it, but like prior to race, you're like, Oh yeah, I'm really fit. I'm going to charge this race. I got this race and it's all positive. And then after the race, if it doesn't go well, yeah, I had this thing go happen and like, yeah, I could have done better. And, you know, and, we all we all had those races oh, yeah. and yeah for certain but you know and it, and it makes you learn after a while like you just it, it doesn't even matter like totally you, you do is you do the best you can you enjoy the process the thing i love about running is when you get to the point and tushers was one of these for me and i've had them throughout my running career and i know you have but you you have those races where you're like whether i won or lost or took somewhere in the middle like at the I metered myself out in a way that I, that I did put everything out there. I kept my focus on it. I was present in the moment. I was with as many steps, individual steps in that race as I could be. And it, it's such a, yeah, it's such a positive self feeling that you leave with yourself that it, that you are able to let go of the ego even longer and go like, man, that was, that was really cool. Like, I, I want to tell my friends about it and man, I hope other people can experience that. And yeah. it's, it's just a, a thing you want to share yeah. because it's really powerful, totally. you know? Totally. So yeah, running's running. So it's, it's just so cool. It's like, yeah, for people that don't do it, it's like, like you're, you're your own vehicle. Like yeah. You, you can move across the land to places one, a vehicle can't get to, and you don't need a vehicle. You're it. You're the vehicle. Yeah. Pretty cool. And, the the best vehicle you know yeah. we've got a universal gear my truck's got like five gears you right, know my right. bike might have eight gears yeah you, you got 12 brother <laughs> <laughs> i watched you run yeah you, yeah you, you probably were in like one first gear running with me <laughs> <laughs> well they're all there i mean i use some more than others but but you know i see that with mountain bikes all the time too you know i mean you 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 out climb mountain bikes i'm sure right mm-hmm. yeah. one they always get disheartened too, you know. It's kind of they'll be like, like there are actually people sometimes where they're like, "Dang it!" when you like pass them and you're running, and they're failing to realize that they're riding like a 25 pound bike, so they're like mm-hmm. moving that extra weight up the hill. But also, it's like, it is the universal gear, you know. Like we come into a hill and we're automatically adjusting. Like, I might go through a hundred gears on a climb, and they might shift through four. And if they don't understand their bike, they might shift through three and like they're really getting taxed you know so the human body is is amazing and um yeah you're a great example of following what the human body can do and sticking with the spirit of you know that mind body connection and connecting us to the greater earth um it's awesome, man. It's been fun hanging out with you these last couple of days. You and I met at Tusher's last yeah. year, dude. Yeah. We ran past each other on a on a preview run. I was yeah. out there for 10 days. You were out there for a while. Yeah, um, yeah a week or something. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what 
bonded us. It's like, yeah. I mean, there really weren't other Tushers runners hanging out there yet. Surprisingly. No, no. I, yeah, I guess we were the only Here, ones that were jobless <laughs> for a week prior Here are to the these race. guys who are like, I'm making sure, like, yeah. we're hanging out here yeah. way before, you know. Yeah. And that's, that. I, my MO has changed to that for racing. Yeah. I need, I want to be in a spot and be moving in it days beforehand. Yeah, I just like to get away from my vehicle energy for a bit before the race, like the travel aspect. Yeah, totally. And, and, yeah. Make sure yeah. you can loosen up, you know, and, and feel yeah. the energy of the place. Yeah, and I was also there the previous year, which I believe you were as yeah. well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we just didn't run into each other. I was in the was 70K? Oh, 70K, okay. yeah. Nice, yeah. Awesome, dude. So that's cool. I didn't know you ran the 70K. Yeah. Because um, I was going to ask on our run today, like, did you get to see that lake? Uh-huh. You know, but. Oh, the uh, lake is cool. Yeah. That, that's so my good. favorite spot. Because you ran the marathon last year, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, if he hasn't done that, he's got to see the lake, yeah. you know. But well, yeah. well, I did it actually a couple of days before the race. Cool. I went over yeah. There. yeah. Yeah. The day after, um, Nicole and I went out and hiked that. Um, and then a thunderstorm rolled in, and I ran back up and over the pass and down the road to get the vehicle. But. Oh, man, the Tushers range is mm. so beautiful. Um, and I'm happy it connected us, man. I want to, uh, I'm grateful for these last couple of days, and thanks so much for your time. And looks like the wind is maybe giving us an exit here. So yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing all of your wisdom, um, both, you know, tangible uh, and tangible, physical, and uh, and spiritual and mental, man. You've, yeah. you've got a lot of good energy, and it's it's fun. Um, and like I said, to anybody who's listening, check the show notes. There's going to be some cool stuff there. You can you can find Matt's shows, and maybe more importantly, you can, um, I'm going to get the dates out of him for for the remainders of his, uh, his camps and clinics and, and journeys that he puts on. So uh, if you're in the area, highly, highly recommend getting out and being guided by this guy and taught by this guy he's got some really cool stuff so if there's anything you want to add on that verbally instead of the notes throw it in there right now (laughs) um uh, yeah you covered it Uh, you can check out i have a book that i co-wrote called epic survival and um yeah come take a class i have one media account it's on instagram so matt grammar skills Matt Graham Earth Skills. Yeah. And you post some really cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and oh, I don't know about that. You I do, just, man. It's just lame selfies with a, a few little nuggets of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other interesting thing we didn't touch on, um, and we should touch on for a minute here real quick, is that um, you also make knives. Uh, and you've got some really cool ones. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up one that is is really akin to a good runner's knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see on your Instagram all the time, reposts, you'll repost when, when people will purchase your knives and some really good like bushcraft knives and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. If you want to take a minute to talk about those. Let's, let's get that out there too. Yeah, yeah, that's been a fun journey. I, I work with two companies, one's uh, Condor, uh, and they produce really nice quality knives at a good affordable price. And then I also work with the uh, American company called Tops, and they, they make really great steels, and um, I have two knives with them. So yeah, you could go, a lot of the, a lot of my knives. I I just design them, you know, and then I you know go through usually a few iterations, test them, and then approve them, and we we get them out there. But beyond that, I'm not involved in the sales. I know they're available like on distributors that are common like Amazon and stuff. So you can even just type in Matt Graham knives or something and stuff pops up. Yeah, right on. Um, tell me the story real quick of, of how you got sucked into that because it's super cool, man. 
yeah. how they've reached out to you because you had you had repurposed, man, and and made your made your own, right? Yeah, the first, so when I first start, well, it's kind of funny. So I I had uh, two knives that I really liked um, at the time I was hired for dual survival, and I have one knife that I really like. Like I'll probably never get rid of it. Um, it has has a special story that I won't go too far into. Involves a friend and. Um, and I was going to take that on that trip, but I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to take it on planes and stuff. I've had stuff lost, luggage and all that before. And so I, so I took this other knife that I had and it was a machete and I, I ground, I reground the shape of it, made it really short, kind of more into a long knife, but a short machete. And then I, I re- redid the sheath inspired from some South American designs that tuck behind the belt. And at the time, it was just an uncommon shape and sheath design that wasn't really available anywhere of the thousands, billions of knives on the market. There's <laughs> so, a lot of knives out there. Yeah. And, and on my show, you know, people got to see how, how a knife of that size can move through wood. And, and everyone was contacting this company because there was a trademark I left on the, the blade that people recognized. And they're like, I want that knife Matt's using. Can... And uh, so the company came to me and they're like, let's develop this together. Man, that's awesome. Super cool, dude. Um, and I think it just speaks to uh, a little to the quality of the, the knives you're making to have a to have a well-known knife company reach out and go like, oh, man, let's get this thing going. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of really old knives and hand forged knives, but I, I honestly feel like I, I probably designed maybe 12 knives and I would say I've, I've got a good few I'd say four knives that I would say everybody kind of needs like I'm not trying to sell knives like yeah. give a care yeah, yeah. I just think I have some really unique designs especially for people that like to move fast you know I really focus on the sheath designs that they you kind of don't notice them you can either have some that tuck into running shorts I have some that tuck behind the belt Nice. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm going to get those models out of you and we'll put them on there. But it's it's uh, it's a cool journey you've been on and, and you've got a lot more journey left. And I like that you're pretty good at sticking right where you're at in your journey and, and living it, man. So thanks for sharing your time. Appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to the next adventure yeah. I get with you. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. All right. Take care, my friend. All right, that was Matt Graham. I hope you all enjoyed. He's got a lot of cool stories, and uh, we just kind of scratched the surface with him. Um, He's lived and is living an amazing life. So hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, Check out the show notes. There's uh, all sorts of notes there on his book, Knives, uh, any classes coming up, and uh, where you can find him on social, at Matt Graham earth skills on instagram so check that out again thanks for following along with me here on the meaning of movement podcast Uh, the most impactful thing you could do to help me out is to follow along subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening to this we're going to keep it going here got some great episodes coming up so stay tuned and uh, you will see more from the meaning of movement podcast thanks so much y'all take care until next time keep on moving